Welcome to No Love Signs. I'm Mo Davio. Uh, here's a little story. I'm going to start out episode number two with. Okay. Several years ago, I was in a bunch of online support groups for people who had survived abusive relationships with narcissistic partners. And all these, it was mostly women, would go on these websites and they would say, and a lot of these women would sort of, in this, area of self-blame or self-forgiveness feel the need to mention like oh but when i met him i was 17 or i was 20 and sort of blame the situation on their youth and their lack of discretion at that age i was 38 when all of that happened to me and i i don't get to uh i don't get to blame it all on being young i wasn't young so uh the point I'm trying to make here, and that is going to be the sort of theme of No Love Signs number two, is that you can make good choices and dangerous choices at any age. Yay! That's the human condition. Uh, I'm really excited to have Jennifer Robin here with me. She is a Portland literary underground legend. Woo! Woo! She is the author of Death Confetti and the forthcoming Earthquakes in Candyland, which yes. will be out in two weeks, and we are all super excited about it. And Jennifer hosts a bunch of really awesome readings around Portland, and I'm super stoked to have her here. Welcome, Jennifer. Welcome, Mo, to your show. Welcome to my show. I, I am so excited as well. This Yay. is not my usual thing. Though weirdly, when you've been on Facebook or social media as much as I have, you do end up having, well, when you write about your life, and often in incredibly personal ways, right? It you end up getting these long comment threads and behind the scenes personal messages from people where they go, I have to dish out much more about how I survived this or this thing I'm dealing with right now. And you, and especially, you know, 3 a.m. drunk messaging and, and such that happens, and you end up with, feeling like you're in the position of being a talk show host or an advice columnist um, unwittingly, yet you did open yourself up to this. It's the Ouija board of social media. You, you called the spirits in, and sometimes it's very beneficial for both you and the people who write to you, but other times it can be a little bit draining. And, right. and you, but all in all, I feel like it has been a good learning experience so it's been, it's also been a form of training <laughs> for Yay. being on this episode today. Yay! Yeah, you. I mean, I've seen you work the room at like the Wildwood, where I've been to your reading there, and like you sort of. It's sort of like a service job as well as like hosting a reading. Like people come to you with their work and they're like, yeah, please acknowledge it and support it. And you do! It's the coolest thing to watch! It's so cool. It, it's one of these things where you, you go, I'm going to tell this really embarrassing, intimate detail about this 
horrible mistake I made that I still can't believe I made, and I, I, I hate myself every day still for doing it, but I still love myself anyway. Sure. And, and because I'm sure people feel they know you over this distance. It's, right. It's, and it's a very weird thing with social media, but it, to me, it's a, a non-physical version of a physical stage, and it can happen in both places. Mm -hmm. um, performing your guts out in front of a, a, real, a live physical audience or a, a totally disembodied, abstract social media audience. But the results tend to be the same. Cool. So we, I, I sent you two letters. Yes. Written by readers or listeners, I guess. Readers, listeners. Anyway, uh, they sort of deal with making good choices, which is the theme of this episode. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read the first yes. letter. And, and I want to add that I love a lot of you people. You disembodied, abstract, damaged souls. Um, the damage in you sought out the damage in me, or vice versa, or I don't even know how to say it, but we found each other. And, and in a sense, this episode is going to bring our damage to contact your damage once again. We're using our damage for good here. Yes, we are. Okay, letter number one. Dear Mo, I divorced my narcissistic ex-husband several years ago, but have to main contact due to our six-year-old daughter. When the court gave him 50-50 custody, I decided to do whatever it takes to stop any conflict with him to try to help keep my daughter safe because he is delusional and believes I will someday take him back. Two years later, I met a guy at a friend's party. She had been dating him. They broke up and he asked me out as, quote, friends. I go because one, I'm an idiot, and two, I don't think I'm really interested. I end up getting hooked up with him. As things progressed, he started becoming more distant and drinking heavily. Not so much starts as continues, but whatever, don't judge me. I decide to confront him about his drinking and kicking him out of my house. I'm sorry, and kicked him out of the house. An hour later, I get a message from his soon-to-be ex-wife. It turns out he's been talking reconciliation with her, hence the distance from me. She tried to poison my relationship with him by telling me he sold cocaine and had a drinking problem. Her proof is one text message from three years ago. But I'm a jilted lover, so I go for it. She and I become best friends. She texts me pretty much all day, every day, which is annoying, but also fills the void left by him. I refuse every phone, text, and email that I get from him until one day I go into my spare room and find tons of his son's clothes that I somehow missed when cleaning out his stuff. Yes, I threw all his stuff on the front porch. I feel bad. I email him. He asks me to, to meet and talk. I say, okay. He tells me he's sorry. He loved both of us. I believe that's possible. Now, in the three months of no contact with him, I was never able to substantiate anything she said about him being a cocaine dealer. Yes, he's a womanizer, but I never could prove there was anyone but me and his wife, the soon-to-be ex, while I was with him. So I have so much common in common with this guy. He's become my partner in crime. We go to concerts, travel, and he cooks and cleans for me. He and I have amazing sex. So we start hanging out again, but off the grid. I don't tell her the whole story. I say I'm just using him as a witness for court because of my ex-husband who during this time decided he was gonna go be an actor and started neglecting my daughter. Finally, the jig is up. He and I travel to New York together and we post pictures on social media. 
Someone told her. She confronted me and I came clean. Then she went full guilt trip trying to break us up. Then she tried to, tried to start getting him back. I'm scared because he could end up back with her, so now I'm cold and indifferent. Am I just addicted to drama? Is this guy going to bail on me and go back to his wife? I've known him since high school. He was a dork. Now he's a musician, and he gets women with a smile and a wink. We started dating in December 2017 and broke up July 18. Got back together and talking last September. Signed, Hilda. Mm. Oh, Hilda. Mm. Okay, I have one sentence to say, and then I'll let you go with your response. Okay, my, my one thing I must say is, and it very much reinforces what Mo started out this episode with, is... Mm, 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 mm. I don't know if there is such a thing as being an adult. No. None of us ever really grow up, but some of us more visibly don't grow up than others. Yeah, Hilda, you know, here, here's, here's my first, uh, the, the two things I, I want you to think about as we begin this odyssey into making sense of all this. Um, one, the ego, your ego and the ego of this man, and brain chemicals, which maybe you don't give a lot of thought to, or maybe since you've been through the narcissistic abuse cycle, you think about a lot. I think about them a lot. Because whether or not you decide to try to keep this guy in your life for the sex and the attention, and yes, the drama, you're going to need to confront these two things. So you say your ex-husband was, narci was narcissistic, and that lets me know that over time, you became accustomed to having your brain chemicals jerked up and down. So you're naturally drawn to men who will build you up really high and, you know, do that with gifts and compliments and really hot sex. And then when you're hooked on this and they know it, um, let's say you were with a man who actually respected you and treated you with kindness. Well, you're going to find that to be really boring. Um, so you'd rather get sucked into love triangles and uh, stare at your phone waiting for texts and throw this guy's shit on the porch, you know. So I, I, could, I could tell you the, the wise thing to do is just forget this toxic douchebag, but I don't think you actually want that because you'll be bored with any man who doesn't fuck with your head because brain chemicals. Brain chemicals. With both the good sex, this sense of adventure, but also I feel like going back to the chemicals being in a narcissistic and abusive relationship, you're constantly trying to convince a person to love you. Right. And when they're on the... When, they're the, when the abuser is visibly abusing you, you're, you're in survival mode. There is no tomorrow. There is no next year. There is no life you can have for yourself. You're just trying to figure out how to get through that moment. You're in the trenches of the abuse. And you get so hooked on living in a forever now where you're just trying to get this person to calm down, get this person to love you, get this person to come back to you. You don't even remember what it's like to make a rational decision anymore. Right. Right. I've been there. I've done that. And it sucks. Me too. And um, it does suck. And you know what? I, I honestly don't discount the idea that I could get sucked into it again. Mm -hmm. I try really hard not to. It has not happened. So far, it's been four years, almost five, but I know women that have gone through it twice or more, and it's mm -hmm. definitely not something I think we can just assume once you go through it once, you're done. I agree. There's something kind of sexy and gives you a high about it. I want you to decide if you want to teach yourself to want a man who will be honest with you and treat you well and be a good influence in your daughter's life. 
but it's going to be a lot like committing to eating unsweetened oatmeal for breakfast every morning for 30 years. Mm -hmm. It's nutritious, but it doesn't taste good. Yeah. Um, the daughter is a huge right? being to consider in this mess. Because um, think of... So I, I want to get into the daughter more, but I'm thinking... Now, I don't know, Hilda, what your relationship with your daughter is like. I don't know how old Hilda's daughter is. I think she said that, that her daughter is six. Six, okay. So, to some degree, Hilda may not emotionally comprehend everything that's going on, but she can tell her mother is being extremely distracted by something, not present. And possibly distressed. And distressed. If you are having these non-stop communications with the other jilted ex, the, the guy supposedly divorcing, and, you know, having this, these dramatic conversations about, is he a cocaine dealer? Is, is he right or wrong? Is he good or bad? This, I feel like it's a, a form of devotion to the man that you and the other ex cannot stop talking about him. That's sucking all of your energy out. Right. You know, I, 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 I wrote out this whole long thing, but it's kind of true that like talking about him provides maybe 50% of the high mm -hmm. as talking mm -hmm. to exactly. him. Exactly. Exactly. So, and you, it's a way to be close to him when he's not there. Right. Right. There came, a, there came a point in my recovery where I was like, you know, what? I just need to stop talking about this yeah. and I need yeah. to stop talking about him. Yes. You cannot summon him, nor should you summon him. So I don't, you know, I've made a conscious decision to just stop. And it helped. Yeah. It helps a great deal. It's kind of like turning off the news sometimes. Or right. Or turning off the State of the Union address, for example. Right. So I want to point out, Hilda. Yes. The spots in the letter where I think you're lying to yourself. Um, and I'm not holding that against you, but it shows that you're diving headlong into disaster, even as you try to convince yourself that you're not. So you call yourself in the letter an idiot, meaning that you knew better than to make the choice you did, but you did it anyway. And you said of this man, you didn't think you were really interested, but you went out of him in spite of that, which, you know, whatever. But you went from not very interested to hot sex, and then this guy was basically living in your house within six months That's of this bad. hookup. Yeah. Um, you didn't really come out and say this, but his son's stuff was in your house uh, mm. and you threw it all on the porch because you were angry and that is a dramatic thing to do. Indeed it is. Um, so you are interested in him, but you could smell his bullshit a mile away, but you love that bullshit. That bullshit smells heavenly and it was familiar and you missed it and you wanted it and you went for it. Hey, you know, I get it. Brain chemicals. So he started to become more distant so you would chase after him because drama and that makes him feel powerful because ba at bare minimum of this guy, he's a guy that likes having two or more women fighting over him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes him feel good. And this is not your first narcissistic rodeo. And you have that piece of your brain telling you that this time, this time things are going to be different. Yep. This time you're going to get the guy. This time, all the effort you put into chasing this avoidant, distant guy is going to pay off, unlike the last time. So you're going to keep playing his games. It's like the emotional equivalent of the claw machine. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to keep putting quarters in there until you get that damn stuffed panda bear because you've worked hard and you deserve it. And you end up with a Pikachu instead. Right. If that. If that. You're going to end up like 
wow, I paid $11 for this, like, USB drive. Yes. Or this um, plastic ring. Ah. So you didn't feel bad for this guy when you found his kid's clothes. You wanted your emotional heroin hit. So you went back, and you wanted it badly, even... Even when you weren't talking to this guy for three months, you were talking to his wife, which, again, talking about him, you were keeping him in your life by proxy. Mm -hmm. So talking about him felt maybe half as good. Yep. So you were addicted, and you were willing to take the lesser hit. And she was talking to you for the same reason. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So once again, you two were determined to fight this out, and you were determined to win this piece of shit playing women against each other guy. So... That's why you put these photos of you and he in New York on social media. Even after you say you're on the down low now. You wanted her to see yes! those! <laughs> you wanted her to see you in New York City with this guy and to be hurt. You wanted that. That's why you did it. You, this was a strike in your favor, or so you thought. So... Okay, I know maybe that sounds like I'm being crappy to it's you. It's a gambler's mentality. But it's a gambler's mentality, and you're gambling, and you know what? You don't. You can, no matter what you do or what this woman does, this guy determines who wins. Mm-hmm. Um, Even if he's not trying to determine who wins, he does by default. Right, and he's winning because you're feeding his enormous hungry ego. Uh, you know, you, he's, you're acting like this guy is like the prize of a century. Ugh. Mm-hmm. You know, you want him and you want her to see it and feel like the loser. And uh, this narrative totally sucks. Because there's always going to be a loser and it's going to end up being you or her. And not this guy, because this guy is always going to win, no matter what. He's always going to find someone whose living room he can put crap in. Right. You're... So while you're working overtime trying to prove that you're better than his almost ex-wife but not quite hasn't filed the papers still talking about him all the time and texting you and then crying over these New York photos on Facebook. You know, all this guy's got to do is be like, hey, Hilda, peace out, you know? And you don't, it wouldn't surprise me if he did that. Like, he's the king and you're the servant and he can vanquish you at any time. So is he, the question you ask, like, you don't even ask, is this fucked up? Should I just forget about it? No, you ask me, is he going to leave me for his ex-wife um you know maybe like that is entirely possible Mm -hmm. he could uh bail on both of you for some other woman he could be seeing two or three other women at the same time and you wouldn't know i mean i understand you wanting to like this time it's going to be different this time he's not going to abuse me this time i am going to win because it didn't happen with my ex-husband and i bear the scars of that um and I understand that's where the, the motivation to participate in this game playing is coming from. But I think you need to recognize that and decide, is that healthy? Uh, or do I want to, you know, start trying oatmeal in the morning because it's healthy instead of like a cigarette and an injection of heroin and a Pop-Tart, which yeah. is what you're doing now. And, and do you have to, if you're really going to commit to having something healthier for you, You're going to have to say to yourself, I don't even remember what that feels like at this point. I have to take a leap of faith that it's going to be something so much better than what I'm used to right now. Right. I mean, if this guy, if you found yourself a guy to date who 
was considerate and who texted back and who told you, yeah, me and my ex-wife, like it's settled and done and it is what it is. We only talk because of the kids or whatever. And, you know, consistently communicated. What would that feel like? And why, when I'm describing this really pleasant, healthy dating scenario, do you know that, like, to you, the way your brain's been rearranged, it doesn't feel good? Um, so, yeah, I think you have to sort of... Mm -hmm. I can't make you choose oatmeal over heroin and a Pop-Tart, um, but I can show you, you know, what sort of brain chemical situation you're battling. And also your daughter deserves you to eat that oatmeal. She deserves the situation in which you were the mother eating that oatmeal. Right. I think your daughter probably wants you to date someone who is consistent and caring and uh, isn't throwing other women in your face and trying to turn the, uh, himself into this great big trophy uh, to be fought over. Mm -hmm. Short answer, you gotta, you gotta forget this guy, he sucks. Mm -hmm. And in design a life where your daughter will be safe, and it sounds like with what you said, the situation with her father right now is not great. You have to find a way to carve out a safe space where she and you can be together, away from all of these drama kings. Right. Yeah. Sorry, Hilda. But I think you kind of knew where I was going to go with this. Be well. Should we tackle that second yeah, question? Yes, let's let let us try. An intriguing second question has come to us. It has. Okay, Jennifer, I'm going to have you read it this time. All right. Second question. Um what what name do we want to use for? Let's call her Vivian. Okay. Our second question comes from Vivian. Hi, Mo. How do you tell a guy that you're attracted to him? Not because of him as a whole, but because of your weird kink that attracts you to part of him. Background. I'm bi, ethically non-monogamous, and have an amputee visible healed injury fetish. I made out with a guy at a party after seeing him without a shirt. This guy went to hell and back with comas, paralysis, infections. I have no idea. But now he has no nipples. Some epic surgical scars and no fucking nipples. It's important to stress that part is in all caps. It's in all caps. All caps, no fucking nipples. No fucking nipples. And for some reason, that's hot as fuck to me. Nice guy, kind of cute, very sweet. Not my usual body type, but he sets off this particular kink in a very visceral way. He's really uncomfortable about his body, though. I don't think he's had a relationship since his illness. How do I reconcile that I'm not that attracted to him as a person, but the parts of his physical body that he hates? Do I tell him? That's Vivian. Vivian. We here at, at No Love Signs are kink friendly, you know, mm -hmm. that's cool. Um, but the foundation of kink is consent. Yes. So I'm kind of uh, of two minds on this. I'm really kind of struck with, I'm not that attracted to him as a person. In several times throughout the letter. Why not? 
But also, maybe this guy wants to get laid. And maybe that's a decision he has to make for himself. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he is fine with someone who is only attracted to him for his nippleless chest. Or if that makes him feel like shit. Yes. And we don't have the answer to that. And, and we don't have the answer to that. We cannot tunnel inside his mind. But we can tell he is emotionally fragile because he not just has an injury that he doesn't even want to have or you know scars of an injury he doesn't even want to have on his body on top of that all what if you're asking him to have sexual experiences that then tie whatever his disease or injury was to the whatever positive or negative emotions come from an erotic experience. Is that something, is that a weight he can bear? Right. Are you prepared to hold space, as they say, for any sort of need to stop and discuss what he is feeling or if he is experiencing trauma or some unexpected negative mm-hmm. feelings by having sex with you. Yeah. I feel like his emotions are especially what we have to consider in this situation. Meaning, there are many people out there uh, you know, through various fetish sites and other places who would love to have their various scars, injuries, lack of this or that, etc., adored, lavished with your affection. However, this guy may not be it, and you, and it would be a very non-consensual thing if you tried to pressure him into it, and he wasn't ready. But this being said, like Mo mentioned, maybe he would love to have sex. So my feeling is you've got to be open about how you're really just looking for a sexual experience. Right. And, you know, you can, lots of people are just looking for sex. And I think you can be up for extra caretaking around his injuries that makes you uncomfortable. If that's the case, if you just want to, like, worship his no nipple chest with all the scars, but you don't really want to take care of him on the level of what that, what happened to him to lead his chest to look like that. Mm. Mm-hmm. You might want to stop and reconsider. Yeah, because especially if he has been out of relationship and may not have had any sexual experiences for a while, even if he initially thinks, oh yeah, I could just have a sexual experience with her, his emotions are going to get tied up in this. Right. I don't think there's any way his emotions after being alone so long aren't going to get tied up in this, no matter how much you establish it's purely sex. Right, and I think for men... Particularly, there might be some sort of societal pressure to just be like, oh, she just wants to have sex. That's cool. We're not going to tangle emotions in here. And mm-hmm. then, like, that's not really what's happening. Yeah. And then that that's going to blow up somehow. It, even though being open and trying to establish you're just in it for sex is one option, it may be that the whole thing could be too emotionally damaging and hurtful to even bring that up at all. Maybe you should just gracefully go away from the situation. Right. I mean, I don't know. I guess you'd have to sort of feel it out in some way if you wanted to mm-hmm. pursue it. Because um, I don't want to cock block this guy or to create an emotional mess. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, Vivian, so. you have you have to feel this out in person. Because disabled people deserve to have healthy sex lives. They do. So, but is this healthy? Right. <laughs> and that's what you're going to have to feel out. Can you choose to create a healthy, even if it's just sex, mm -hmm. there's still a relationship there. And who knows? Because now, it, it, almost a devil's advocate suggesting maybe, even though Vivian is saying this whole thing about I'm not attracted to these other parts of him, maybe that's her kink talking. Right. And, and as she would spend more time with him, maybe she would start to develop more of an emotional connection. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? But we, we know. can't presume any of that. We can't presume anything here. Yeah. You should not presume that he'll enjoy the sex, Vivian. And, and you should not presume that there's a way he, you can convince him that this kind of fetish to his nipples is okay. He may not be ready. He may never be ready. Yeah. So... I mean, his no nipples. You know what I mean. Right. Yeah, that's all I got on that mm -hmm. one. Well, it's... it's Proceed a, with yeah. extreme caution. Yeah. I second that. Caution and keep in mind, he's got his own emotional state. You don't even know how bad his health condition or injury was leading to his current condition. So there's a lot to take into account yeah. before you proceed. Um, but I did do a little background, like rereading some Dan Savage mm -hmm. uh, letters on the t subject of devotees and amputee fetishists. And uh, he directed a, a, a reader to like check out a fetish website or fetish dating, specific dating site. So maybe if not this guy, maybe you can throw yourself mm -hmm. into that particular yes pool Th there's a world there's, a, there's world. a world where you will belong yes and and I'll, you know i i'm hoping this can turn out well i'm hoping possibly this could be an experience that makes him feel less trauma regarding that right. part of his body you know, it I'm could end up being something positive it could like being if you proceed with caution right being touched and consideration being touched would probably Empathy. be very healthy and therapeutic for him being you know validated as a sexual being being told his his injuries are beautiful yes that you are not put off by them in any way and in fact are attracted to them i mean these are all really beneficial things but I, again you just need to be honest with yourself if you can take that extra care for this person yes so. i second that i think right. i don't have more to add than i don't i don't either i think that's a good conclusion all right uh jennifer tell us a bit about your new book oh my <laughs> now there's a change of subject um so my new book is called Earthquakes in Candyland. It's coming out on Fungasm Press. Fungasm! Fungasm, yes. Appro yeah, it's appropriate enough. We mentioned that on No Love Signs. And it's, it's another situation, just like Death Confetti. Both books were publishers pitching ideas to me after seeing me just randomly and compulsively spout writing on Facebook about whatever I felt like writing about. But all this compulsive spouting aimed like a hose at who knows what direction. But it ended up getting people who, uh, editors, who said, we like these particular things you do. For Death Confetti, I was originally asked to write stories, of, make a book 
based on all of my bizarre bus experiences yeah. that I had been writing a lot of at the time on Facebook. And then that expanded to have many more stories of a more personal nature incorporated into those existential plays. I feel like TriMet should have hired you to be their spokeswoman. Yeah, the day might still come. <laughs> um, and, and of course, after publishing that, I discovered there were other people who really do try to have blogs about their TriMet experiences. I was certainly not the only one. There, there was one, I can't remember the name of it anymore. It might have a name as prosaic as Weird Bus Stories, but they're out there. And I'm definitely not the only one with that. But then with earthquakes in Candyland, it was especially around the time of the 2016 election. And I'd been writing a lot more I had always mixed political commentary in with, or analysis, or I wouldn't say outrage all the time, but certainly commentary or, or comedy regarding the many lemming-like reactions that you can see on I, you know, any part of the political spectrum. And so I was writing some commentary on Facebook, and this editor asked if I wanted to turn those into a book. Hey. And so... But not just an overt political analysis thing, but general stories in my style about what it is like to live in America, which was, of course, a very broad request. And then I had to start thinking about, well, what experiences of mine are not just experiences, but particularly say something about America. Mm -hmm. So that began my two-year odyssey to... Um, go back in my memories of hitchhiking around the country and taking Amtraks and, and Greyhound buses and, um, you know, b b experiences not unlike death confetti that are random existential encounters, but, but in different locations around America that say something about what America is, what America has turned into. So the book has, and, and so to basically come up with a book that has both political commentary, but then other things that are just storytelling mm. and, and funny and sometimes melancholy and sometimes devastating storytelling. So it's it was an interesting challenge, but we did it. <laughs> we did it. We accomplished this. And if this seems like a weird concept that now you have to find out what that means, the book is coming out in two weeks, so you can find out. Okay, so it's like March... March... 12? Yeah, like 13th or 15th. Yeah, not long from now. Uh, yeah, and it's called Earthquakes, Earthquakes in Candyland. In Candyland, and it can be ordered on Amazon or any of those usual online book-selling locations. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. Jennifer is a singular voice. Like, no one else writes like her. So... If you want, I mean, and I've read Death Confetti, which is largely about the bus. Yes. So I actually think about Jennifer every time I get on the bus. Oh. <laughs> Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on No Love Signs. You are welcome. Uh, this... Thank you for having me. I'm glad that some of my damaged and ridiculous experiences could lend to offering advice. Some tentative useful. advice. Very, very useful. Uh, if you, listener, have a question for me, Mo Davio, please email me at nolovesigns at gmail.com. Uh, no Love Signs is recorded in various locations around Portland, Oregon, which is served by TriMet Public Transportation. What else can I tell you? Oh, Phil Jarapu wrote the wrote and performed the original theme song. And for that, we are grateful. He is also a singular talent. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, oh, 
What? How do they get in touch with you with their letters? Oh. What's your contact information? No love signs at gmail.com. Good. It's or, always good to say it a few times. <laughs> or what? visit the Drill website it. at nolovesigns.com. Excellent. So keep on hanging those love signs.